Welcome to the podcast of Azel Christian Church. We are a Disciples of Christ Church community in Azel, Texas. We invite everyone to be who you are with us, the doubting, the believing, the wondering, and everything in between. On this podcast, you'll hear our pastor, Reverend Ashley Dargai, preach on how the expansive and generative love of God is seen through Jesus, the prophets, the early church, and the faith forebears, and how this love helps us care for the world more deeply and faithfully. Sometimes it's messy and tough, but it's good news, and it is for you. Our scripture is from a book that you uh, probably don't see a lot in your daily devotions, the book of Ezra. And we'll be reading from chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, chapter 3, 1 through 4, and 10 through 13. In the first year of King Cyrus of Persia, in order that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be accomplished, the Lord stirred up the spirit of King Cyrus of Persia so that he sent a herald throughout all his kingdom and also in a written edict declared, Thus says King Cyrus of Persia, The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and has charged me to build a temple in Jerusalem, in Judah. Any of those among you who are among God's people, may their God be with them, are now permitted to go up to Jerusalem in Judah and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem. And let all survivors in whatever place they reside Be assisted by the people of their place with silver and gold, with goods and with animals, besides free will will offerings for the house of God in Jerusalem. So when the seventh month came and the Israelites were in the towns, the people gathered together in Jerusalem. Then Jeshua, son of Josadak, with his fellow priests, and Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, with his kin, set out to build the altar of the God of Israel, to offer burnt offerings on it, as prescribed in the law of Moses, the man of God. And they set up the altar on its foundation, because they were in dread of the neighboring peoples. And they offered burnt offerings upon it to the Lord, morning and evening. And they kept the festival of booths, as prescribed, and offered the daily burnt offerings by number according to the ordinance as required for each day. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments were stationed to praise the Lord with trumpets, and the Levites, sons of Asaph, with cymbals, according to the directions of King David of Israel. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord. For the Most High is good, whose steadfast love endures forever towards Israel. And all the people responded with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was finally laid. But many of the priests and Levites and heads of families, old people who had seen the first house on its foundations, wept with a loud voice when they saw this house, though many shouted aloud for joy so that the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping. For the people shouted so loudly that the sound was heard far away. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Dear God, 
it's me again, Israel. I've been adjusting since the move, but since we arrived in Jerusalem almost a year ago, I figured I should write to you. We are home safe, finally, though Babylon is technically the only home I've ever known. My grandparents, you see, left Jerusalem when they were just kids, after watching their beloved city destroyed, watching their friends killed. They still get teary-eyed when they tell the story of the day the temple fell. They say it was like the world went dark and the light of their hearts went cold. The poets wrote a lot about that time. I mean, my grandparents' go-to lament begins, how lonely sits the city that once was full of people. And they like to quote that line to me when I haven't spent enough time with them. And now we're back in the city of their heritage, of my heritage, I guess. But they're not as happy as I thought they would be. You see, they go from tent to tent asking about friends they left behind. And they keep getting bad news. Grandfather has gone almost completely silent at dinner time. He walks the streets where he grew up, but it's still mostly rubble. It's like he has retreated far into the past in his mind and can't seem to find his way back. And grandmother weeps in the kitchen every day. One moment, she's cleaning up after our snacks, and the next moment, she's on her knees in tears. Last week, the men in the city, the ones who returned, rebuilt the altar and threw a big party. And they built it where the altar was in the temple before it was destroyed all those years ago. And I know that they intend to rebuild the temple eventually because I hear my grandfather whispering with the other old men in town about how the temple will never be as glorious as it was under Solomon. And the priest, Jeshua, offered burnt offerings on it for the festival of booths. It was fascinating because while many of the elders laughed in joy, others wept. It was hard to distinguish the sound between the two. This was my first time to observe the festival of booths in Jerusalem. And even though I had observed all of our holy days back in Babylon, quietly and without fanfare, lest we be punished, it was different to do it in Jerusalem. On one hand, so many people have memories of the real thing, or what those who were here before call the real thing. They remember the days-long parties and the elaborate ceremony of it all. They remember the feasting and the songs. But I carry with me the memory of how we've done it in the interim time, the only time I've ever known. The observance of holy days in the Torah in Babylon was how I came to know you, God. If it wasn't how my grandfather did it, does it still count? I wish my dad was here to give me some help figuring this out. He was killed by the Babylonians two years ago, before great King Cyrus came to power and had mercy on us all. I bet he would have loved to see grandmother and grandfather in Jerusalem. 
he grew up hearing even more stories than me. But I know his upbringing was difficult too. I mean, all the changes in my grandparents' lives really did a number on them. I remember dad telling us that they used to scream in their sleep when he was little. They would go days without talking and sometimes grandfather would disappear for an evening and return home drunk and singing songs in Hebrew as grandmother tried to hush him so he wouldn't wake the kids. I wonder what dad would say about this return. What would he have to say about his parents' mixed emotions and the surprising bitterness of some of the elders? What would he say about the resentment of the neighboring peoples that were back? What would he say about how the people who have returned treat the ones who stayed here all along? I mean, sure, those who stayed don't have two shekels to rub together, but they at least weren't under the thumb of the Babylonians all these years. And of course, you know, they, they couldn't rebuild for fear of retribution, but they stayed. That has to count for something. But that doesn't seem to register with the people who are bent on forcing their way of life back into Jerusalem. You know, I bet dad would embrace his long lost people and trade stories of time past. I bet they'd whisper late into the night about the trauma their parents endured and pray that this next phase of life was different for us. I bet he'd sneak me home some sweets like old times. I miss him. It's hard to be here by myself, God. I know I have family here, but I sometimes feel so alone in everything that is going on. It feels like I'm the one buried under the rubble. The weight of the world on my chest, making it hard to breathe and even harder to sleep. So much change, so much to process. And the people I want to talk to most are either gone or lost in their own grief. And of course, mother. I don't remember her, obviously, since she died giving birth to me, but everyone tells me she was beautiful and spirited, that her eyes twinkled in the candlelight celebrations. And whenever I was scared at night, Dad used to tell me about her. And he would quote things she would say when she was pregnant with me. Lots of those things were psalms about your goodness, of course, as she was a devout Jewish woman. But there were a couple of irreverent proverbs I probably shouldn't include in this letter to you, God. But my favorite was what she would say to Dad when he would start spiraling in his weariness working as a captive and worrying about his parents and wondering if his generation's job was to help the elders move on from Jerusalem or to keep hoping they'd return one day. And she'd stroke his beard and say, Oh, love, do not be daunted by the enormity of the world's grief. Do justly now. Love mercy now. Walk humbly now.
We are not obligated to complete the work, but neither are we free to abandon it. It's hard to return as a fragmented people. Our loved ones are missing the great reunion some are still on their way, but I wonder if everyone will make it. Will everyone even want to return? This is not what I thought it would be. Like, it could be beautiful, and I hope it will be. I mean, I could just picture us reading the Torah together in awe once we're all back in the temple. All of us holding our breath in wonder and gratefulness, just glad to be together even if things are not the same as they once were. We could make it to that moment, I'm sure of it. And even though this return is so different than I thought it would be when we first heard great King Cyrus was going to let us come back, I'm glad to be with my grandparents. You know, even though her weeping makes me uncomfortable sometimes, I hope that one day I can grieve honestly like my grandmother, when the time comes for her to return to you. I've always appreciated her honesty. She takes our religious call to lament seriously. She told me one day, as she was wiping her eyes, that she wasn't really mourning so much as praying. They just look the same. And I like that. Maybe I should pray a little more too. And even though he's not himself right now, I hope that I can have the courage to return like grandfather. I'm sure he wishes he could return to a Jerusalem in its former glory, bubbling up with the life he remembers, the good old days. But I admire how even with all of his dashed hopes and painful memories, he still returns. He keeps showing up to the sight of his grief and meeting it like a companion. Maybe I can be brave like that one day. And Dad, well, even though he's not here, he had a way of making our small dinner table seem really big. There was no shortage of guests and visitors who became friends. I mean, even the people who grandfather would look at sideways at the beginning of the evening would eventually win him over. And I bet dad would do that here too. We'd share a small loaf of bread and the last of the wine brought from Babylon and somehow we'd all get our fill. And we'd tell the tales of our ancestors who wandered the wilderness and worshiped under the stars and recount their daily manna as evidence of your abundant goodness. And somehow, grandfather would link ancient time to this present moment. And he'd pinch the time together, and we'd all realize that the table we're all gathered around is a lot longer than it was when we set out the plates. Help me remember that tonight, God. As grandfather eats silently and grandmother wipes her tears away. The moment... This moment is not all there is to our story. And mom would keep us accountable to the work. What was it Jeremiah said when everyone was being carried off to Babylon? 
a voice is heard in Rama. Lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children and she refuses to be comforted. Mother Rachel weeps for those who were carried off, for those who stayed, and for those who are no more. She is our universal mother, as she was the mother of Jacob. And then Jeremiah told us that God said the reward for the work of each other is that we would one day return. And here we are. Vindication for Mother Rachel's tears. Still more tears to be shed, I'm sure. But it's a good reminder to keep working for wholeness and for healing and for the return of all that is good. Mother Rachel, mom, would want us to continue the work of each other. The long, long line of who God calls children. I imagine she'd push us out the door each morning with a smile shouting, you don't have to do it all. Just be faithful today. Well, God, we're here. We're back, finally. And some of us are back for the first time. I think we'll figure things out. We've made it this long as your people, after all. The future will not be the past, but what is the same throughout all ages is your presence. That we know from the many stories of our people. Sorry it took for so long for me to write. Sincerely, Israel. Thanks for listening to the Azel Christian Church podcast. Azel Christian Church exists to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ through meaningful liturgy during worship, a public witness through outreach in the community, the nurturing of the spiritual life of every age group, and the witness of each member through discipleship, baptism, and the sharing of resources. To support this podcast and the ministries of Azel Christian Church, visit azelchristianchurch.org. Here you can contribute through giving online or find our Venmo information. If you're looking for a church or simply want to talk to one of our ministers, contact us through our website and we will be in touch. Talk to you soon.